Welcome to episode 16 of the Corona Diaries and today's guest is Stuart Kelly. And I have to issue a short little correction before we start because Stuart was very specific with his recording choices, which I very much appreciated. Uh, but the Brahms piano concerto, he couldn't, uh, it wouldn't work. I couldn't get the right version on. So um, I have spoiled that for you. You haven't listened to it yet, but that is one of his choices. And instead of the Christian Zimmerman recording, I have Lars Vogt instead. So apologies, Stuart. I know you worked very hard, um, but I hope everyone enjoys this conversation anyway. Hello. Sasha Kelly. Stuart Kelly. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Your, your mic quality is very good. I'm very impressed. I'm putting it through my laptop rather than my phone. Oh, how ingenious. Mm, very clever. That would be much better mic than anything, but maybe it is. I guess it is. I don't know. I'm just, um, I've only done this once before with Andy and I'm comparing it and it seems comparable. Like it seems much better. Right. So there you go. Yeah. Let me we'll probably pick up the massive noise coming from my laundry where the dryer is about to take off I think <laughs> the take flight for the day well yeah. I'm I'm pleased to hear that you're washing and drying clothes oh yes because... I'm all over it today yeah because I've got a large pile in the corner of my room that I'm ignoring until tomorrow that's tomorrow's job well quite finally cleaning the laundry is today's job which had in one corner of it behind a cupboard shoved all this junk for like a year but <laughs> I didn't want to have to deal with, and I sorted it all out today, and now we're on the right track. Here we are. So tell me, how's your Good Friday been? Has it been good? Well, yes. I mean, I cleaned the laundry. I went for a big walk. <laughs> I read some books, and um, and here we are. Let's just go straight to music. What music have you picked? Well, so what, I couldn't remember what we ended up deciding. We said the top, my top five, like, all-time pieces. Did we say that? Yes. I think okay. so. Well, and then I gave you like four other theme suggestions just to confuse you. So yeah. I think, well, I've just gone with top five, which, you know, only probably one of which would be guaranteed on any day of the week to be in there because I just <laughs> have millions. I have millions. It's like, how do you choose? Well, okay. You- so it's on the 10th of April. Yes. 2020. This and my is- number one will be the one I would be sure I'd have in there any day of the week. But, okay. Um, okay. But- Start with I'm a big Schubertian, and and uh, if you're going to play Schubert, it has to be a song, and then there are 600 of those. So how do you choose one? But um, I think on most days of the week, this one's my favourite. So we're starting with Schubert. Yes. Okay, and who's singing? This is Ian Bostrich. Oh, controversial choice. Well, it was, but I see what I'm doing is a huge favour for you because I'm picking them up <laughs> on Spotify. And yes. if I had the full resources of everything I have, I would have probably gone another one. But Spotify only had four recordings of this song, and this was the, by far the best. And actually, I quite enjoyed it. I, I thought the pacing of it was lovely. And uh, Okay, so why this particular... Can you tell me what this song is and why you've chosen it? Well, I just adore it. I adore the music of it, and I adore the poem. It's simply called In Spring. Um, and, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of reminiscence in a way of, this beautiful spring romance and then how sad summer will be if it doesn't continue and um 
uh, how you will sing all summer long of the wonderful time you had in spring, basically. Oh, that's really lovely. And especially because it's spring here at the moment and we're not having a wonderful time. It was, it's going to be 26 degrees here today, oh. which I know is like not that hot, but it feels it will feel really that. hot. Yeah. yeah. Yesterday it was 22 and I was dying. Well, that's really early to do that form, isn't it? Because normally, it is. normally I am in London this time in April. The last few years I've been in London this time in April. Um, and it's been still pretty cold. So. Well, yeah, because I've been leaving for work at like 4.30 in the morning when it's 7 degrees. So I've been wearing like clothes that you wear when it's 7 degrees. Yeah. And then yesterday I walked home and I was like Dying. sweltering. Yeah. Well, I and also I walked home because I wanted to go past the bottle shop. I, I started so. yesterday and it looked spectacular. The oh, yeah, it was a glorious day and it's just going to be warm all weekend. And then like the idea of being trapped inside, that just makes it all the so, more cruel. So I appreciate Schubert's song decisions, but I won't be in summer thinking of how glorious spring was because <laughs> spring is being miserable right now, but that's okay. Yeah. Also, I've been wondering a lot about how the people who work at dating apps are going to, like, they're going to have, like, startups and stuff. They're going to fall over. People, how do you well, I think they're putting a lot use of, them when you're stuck you're, inside? Well, putting a lot of effort into setting up first dates as video chats and trying to encourage people to do that, I've read. But, um... Yeah, but also then, like, you know, Airbnb sent me a message the other day saying, just because you can't leave your house doesn't mean you can't use Airbnb. I'm like, there is one thing I'm sure of is that I cannot use Airbnb What right are they now. suggesting you use Airbnb for? They, they want me to do online experiences with Airbnb. I mean, that's going to be, like, this whole experience is pretty depressing. But I mean, if I called you and said yeah. I'd spent an hour doing an online experience with Airbnb, that would be not a great sign. Yeah. Unless, you know, maybe cooking class with Mary Berry or, you know. Yeah, I think you're being way too positive about this. I was really <laughs> enjoying my, like, negative comic bent on it, but I appreciate where you're going. Out of service trying with, to turn... with Rich yeah. Hammond or something, you know, like. Yeah, okay. If maybe I need to investigate it. I'd do that, but, but let's, oh. probably not. It's probably Jeff giving you tips on your <laughs> return or something like that and, yeah. Or with a GoPro stuck to the front of his bike as he, like, rides around some town in, I don't know, the south of Germany to tell me what it would look like if I was there. And stops off for a sausage on the way or something. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, okay, second choice. Well, um, the great Stephen Huff, who is one of my favourite pianists, um, wrote a wonderful piece a few years ago. Uh, two Brahms piano concertos. Anyway, the, he wrote this fabulous article comparing the two Brahms concertos and came up with this wonderful description of them where he says that the second concerto is the better piece, but the first concerto is the greater piece. And I think that is so insightful and spot on. Um, you know, as a composition, as, a, as an act in the craft of composition, the second is probably the final work. But the first piano concerto of Brahms is, I actually harbour very, very few desires to play concerti. It's not something I'm particularly interested in, um, in what I do with my music making. But 
this is a piece I would like to play at some point before I um, before I cark it. You know. <laughs> well, here's hoping that's a few more years off. And this is the they f- seem to keep. Well, indeed. indeed, they seem to keep Corona under control in Australia. But um, yeah, I want to hear some. Can you play it? Yeah, this is a fantastic recording with Christian Zimmerman and the Berlin Philharmonic with um, Simon Rattle. I don't think I've listened to this properly. Before. Have you never heard the Brahms first piano concerto? No, I'm sure I've heard it, but don't think that you've listened to stuff properly, like really mm. sat down and listened to it. Oh, look, um, 40 minutes of your Good Friday and listen to this recording. Um, I mean, it's the most extraordinary piece. Um, Can you explain a bit more what you meant about the greater piece versus, like, is it the way that it sits under the hands? No, 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 like no, 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 it's purely... The heart on the sleeve yeah, kind of thing. It's, okay. it's the content of the work, I think. The um, Just the sheer... He wrote it when he was a young man. He was... Um, I don't know how much you know about Brahms, but, of course, he was terrified of writing his first symphony um, in the shadow of Beethoven, and it took him 27 years or something to write a symphony. And so there are a number of works that are earlier on in his output that are basically symphonies, but just with other names. And this particular piece went through several iterations of what it was going to be before he settled on it being a piano concerto. Um, and so it's just got this incredibly grand symphonic scope, um, this devastatingly beautiful slow movement and then um, a really strong finale. And the interesting thing about Brahms in so much of his um, music, very often you have these incredible pieces with slightly weak slow movements or at least um, slightly introverted slow movements that somehow don't seem to balance what's come before. Um, And the second piano concerto falls a little bit into that category, although I've come around to the final movement of it now, but... um, but the the first concerto is just you know red hot fire from the outset, and it's just a man who has so much to say and so much blood running through the uh, veins, and yeah, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary piece. Yeah, it's interesting that Brahms keeps coming up as a as a composer that helps people get through, or or like really speaks to people because Brahms is Andy, one of Andy's favorites as well. And I think I've spent a lot of time with his symphonies. Yes. So, and I just think, like, he knew how to write a tune better than, like, when he hits the mark with them. Well, you find people who hate Brahms and say it's boring and repetitive and what sort of thing. I just think I have no interest in knowing these people. Um, <laughs> it's like a good litmus test of, like, who are you going to let in the inner circle? Exactly. exactly. Just if you don't like ask Brahms. their opinions on Brahms. <laughs> you don't like Brahms, though. And, look, I have... It's a terribly wanky thing I'm about to say, and maybe I'll force you to edit to that later. But um, <laughs> uh, the the sense I always had, if um, you know, if I, if one was a composer themselves, of all the great composers, who whose sound world, whose emotional world, who who do I connect with the most in terms of thinking that's what I would want to sound like if it was me? Um, Brahms is probably the one actually that. Um, although, interestingly, if you said to me you could only choose one composer to play for the rest of your life, it wouldn't be Brahms. But I think Brahms is probably the closest to how I feel in my own soul. That's such an interesting thought. I've never thought that before. Who would you? So I've never. I'm just thinking, and I, I think I go with Schubert. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where I go. I mean, I connect like Tchaikovsky has written enough, like a certain pieces that 
identify with me at particular points in my life and I've been significant, but it's not for, there's not enough range. Is that the right? Yeah. Yeah. It's more sentimental reasons that I'd go with him. Yes. But I feel like Schubert, like there's always a Schubert piece I can find that reflects. So there's a lot of Schubert that I'm like, oh, another strophic song. But there's a lot that he wrote that I think. No, Schubert is um, definitely do. Yeah, you feel like there's, you, you can really see what someone's thinking when when you hear some of his works. Hmm. But I'm going to think of that because maybe like in an hour's time, I'll be walking along and I'll be like, God damn it. Britain, but definitely not Britain. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to find the next, the bit of the track I want you to hear. Um, but while okay. I do that, I'll explain why I've chosen this. So um, this okay. is the slow movement to the cello sonata by Rachmaninoff. And oh, yeah, uh, okay. this would be on my list probably just about every day. But I, I, the reason I put it on is I, I had one of the most visceral experiences hearing this for the first time of, of any experience I've had of any piece of music and I vividly remember it. So that's why I thought I'd put it on the on the list today. I was driving um to the train station to go to my university, probably first year, maybe second year, early on though in the degree. And I was driving there one morning and the slow movement of this came on the radio and I literally had to pull over. Um, cause I just had to stop and really listen to what the hell is this? And, um, ideally I would play you, uh, the recording of Stephen Huff and Stephen Islis, but I can't find it on Spotify, but I've just fallen in love with this performance of it with, um, Alyssa Violetstein and a pianist I've never even heard of before, um, uh, who is just lovely. So this is the, the great climactic section of the slow movement of the Nuno okay. So beautiful. That's stunning. Such an extraordinary movement. And and I find Rachmaninoff so endlessly fascinating because I listen to it and then I listen to it and I try to analyse what you're hearing. And the reality is all of the ingredients are there for it to have been extraordinarily cheesy somehow, and yet it never is. And you just think, how has he achieved that? Because in the hands of anybody else, it would have somehow come across as being cheap and tacky. And yet it just never is. It's, I can't figure it out. It's, it's, I've talked to so many people about this too. Like when you look at the building blocks he uses, the way the harmony moves, the sorts of chords he used, like it, it could in, in any other hands be so cheap and tacky. And actually in other hands it has become cheap and tacky because hasn't his second, is it his piano concerto, the second movement, is the basis for All By Myself oh, by Celine Dion? another song... Well, she didn't do it first, but yes. Um, oh, no, no, no. But, yeah, that's the Bridget Jones moment is what I yeah. associate with that. So that's song right. from the theme from that as well. I can't remember which one. But, but yes, absolutely. Um, somehow yeah. he just always, or he'll go right up to the line and just not quite take you over it, or uh, he finds a way to move the progression through that somehow it's, it's very hard on the sleeve, but it has a real refinement to it as well. It's really extraordinary stuff. Alyssa Vilesheim. Yeah. She, I saw her play with Marla Chamber Orchestra uh-huh. a couple of years ago, and I think she's extraordinary. So it's just very interesting that you just that you picked yeah, up recording she's really because great, but, um... she's she looks like you know those people where it's like the instrument's literally an extension of their yes. body. She has that kind of relationship with the cello, and I don't know anything about string playing, so maybe a cellist out there would be like oh but her blah 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 is yeah. terrible 
Um, but for me, she just looked comfortable with it in a way that it's kind of undeniable that she's got to be. Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, you'd hope any followers yeah. looks like that. But I, I have to say, I don't think I've seen her live, but um, I, I've loved a lot of the recordings I've heard of hers. And I, I'm a bit yeah. lacking in experience with the recordings of that piece because I'm so obsessed with the Huff Isla's one. Um, it's just mm-hmm. perfection. And the, the thing is, too, that, that with that piece, there the two probably most famous recordings are Lynn Harrell's with Ashkenazi, which I just detest. And... Um, <laughs> the famous one with Russell Povich and I can't remember who playing the piano and the Russell Povich one, that's quite fitting that I can't remember who's playing the piano because it sounds like that it's like Russell Povich right in front of you and the pianist is like down the street in another building in the way <laughs> in the mix which is just so offensive in a piece uh, like the Rachmaninoff where the pianist is working 50 times harder um, than the cello but, uh, mm. yeah and uh, then I discovered the half one and I just never sort of moved on from it. But I, I must listen to the whole of this Wallerstein effort because it's very beautiful, that song. Um, okay, cool. Choice four. Well, this is partly in honour of you sitting there in my very much favorite city in the world of London. Um, and I, also I'm a, I'm a big Elgarian. Uh, ah, yeah. In, this, okay. in these times, um, I think this is a very fitting piece. I should have found there's a quote. Uh, I, I put this I listened to this piece a couple of weeks ago when the full horror of um, what we were about to go through uh, became evident. And I just thought this was an Elgar one sort of afternoon. You know, I had to just mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. of Elgar. And I came across reading about it, a quote of his about this piece that uh, I hadn't heard before. Um, and it's, it's just magnificent where he says, and quite fitting for our times too, he says about the piece, there is no program beyond a wide experience of human life with a great charity and a massive hope in the future. Um, and, yeah, how, how wonderful. So I, I've picked a section from right near the final climax at the end of the piece. This is a great recording too with the London Symphony Orchestra and Colin Davis. Oh, Elga, he... He's underrated. Oh, and I think. it's that sort of you know. There's a, it's again. It's hard on the sleeve, but there's a sort of stoic Britishness to it that you know one wouldn't ever show a fear in the corner of their eye. Tell me about it. That the, the um, step up like and keep calm. This should have been on. playing under the Queen's speech last weekend. You know. Um, <laughs> well, there's been a lot of Jerusalem being played oh, lately. What a, it's um, what a thing, yeah. Well, and yeah. is it really true? No prompt yeah. this year. Well, I think they released a statement yesterday saying that it would be dramatically different to, which I mean, like, you know, no shit Sherlock in some ways, but, um, but it is interesting that they obviously feel like they've got enough of a run up to maybe adjust if that's yeah, right maybe word. what in an all British yeah. program so they don't have to fly people in or something. Yeah, I mean, it will be really interesting to see what like the consequences are on things, really, um, and how different arts organisations adjust to like get used to the new world order. Because yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. So. Any other reasons for Elgar? Well, Anything else? But I just love Elgar. I love all Elgar. Um, the violin sonata is a very favourite piece to play. The piano quintet I've had great fun doing over the years and can't wait to have a chance to play again. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, in so many ways, he's not he's not in the top five greatest composers of all time by any stretch of the imagination. But the the output is not massive, and um, and there are questionable bits to a lot of even what he has. Written. But but <laughs> there's a, something I just love about it. It's just I yeah I love I love I mean the Enigmas an extraordinary piece. That symphony I think is a very underrated symphony. The second is also underrated. Mm. Um, and of course, everyone plays the cello concerto, but the, there's other great pieces too. And I don't know. I just I, I like his spirit. I like his language. I like his world. Um, I think I would have liked him. Do you do you have this you know feeling with relationships with composers that you play or that you you seem to know well? And you, you know, like I, I tend to feel like a very personal connections with composers after a while and you get a sense of you know you might really respect someone's work but you're pretty sure you wouldn't want to go and have dinner with them (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, i think we'd be actually really good friends that sort of thing um and i think elgar and i would have been good friends yeah he was very much anti the draft in world war one and and um you know very much anti the war in general and and very upset about how many friends he lost and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think he was a, just a thoroughly decent man. But This has to be in there because if you said to me that I had one piece for the rest of my life and that was all I could work on, all I could play, um, I only think of one mm-hmm. thing that might possibly sustain me for the rest of my life without getting bored and uh it's goldberg variations um, aha yes yeah, well Sorry. why not you know like and i love this recording which hasn't got anywhere near enough attention i don't think this is um a girl i think she won bbc young musician a few years back and this was her debut recording after that and it's wow, okay. such an interesting performance because she takes a lot of liberties with extemporizing and um, adding little flourishes on the repeats of things. And, uh, like, it's a really interesting debate you can get into, that whole thing about if you're playing Bach on a modern piano, uh, do you try to play it as if it's a harpsichord, chord mm. or do you try to play it utilising all the possibilities that the piano has that a harpsichord doesn't? And, she, and I, I'm very much of the latter approach, which is obviously not to say drown everything in pedal or even necessarily use the pedal but you know i think it's totally appropriate if you if you find it is effective although i have to say the more the years go on the, the less i find myself liking it or wanting it in bath but um she, she certainly yeah. makes use of the fact that you can shape a phrase much more and use a much wider dynamic range and she's bit more liberal with mm. spacing and rubatos and that sort of stuff uh and then all these fabulous little extemporizations on the repeats it's such an interesting recording so it's um we're gonna hear the fifth variation which i just love oh i'm gonna have to mm. listen to the back oh and all over again. well listen to this this okay. is beatrice rana um oh yeah okay yeah, yeah fabulous recording i got quite obsessed with it because of course everyone goes to gould and i i love the goulds as well um and I shan't criticise mm. anyone else's, but um, and there are others I love. I mean, I turned pages for Lars Voigt at the Melbourne Recital Centre a couple of years ago, and sat sat two feet wow. away from him while he delivered this absolutely flawless Goldberg variations with some of the most insane fingering choices I've ever seen. Um, and he did not go near the pedal once, and yet found this incredible variety of colour and sound, and and didn't need to rely on it to you know 
get him over the bridges of some really nasty corners that are in the piece. And I was just gobsmacked. Like, he, what do you, what does it feel like when, like, yeah. when you're a pianist yourself and you're watching someone else who's extraordinary? Um, do you kind of have a, I mean, I guess this is a personal question, but like, do you ever get jealous or is it like there's such joy in the fact that someone's, Achieving no, I don't. Such a high level. I mean, look, like a, a guy with a career that, like he has and a reputation like he has, you sort of expect them to be able to deliver at a certain level. And I have no um, inhibitions mm. about my own abilities or not these days. Um, uh, so no, absolutely not. And you're hoping that it'll be something special. And when when you get to sit that close, I mean that 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 really knocked it out for me. And it was only a couple of months after I'd been sitting two feet away from Pierre Leroy Amard as he did the complete Messi en Vain regards that he also mm. was basically flawless. And I mean, that is such an extraordinary undertaking and to sit two feet away watching that happen. I, you just, I just feel so privileged, so lucky. Yeah, of course, of course. Oh, yeah, that's that is that is an extraordinary yeah, recording. I'm gonna go listen to that because I've I definitely heard her stuff before because yeah. we do play her at work. Um, but I can't say like we definitely don't play the Goldberg no. variations every second day. So um, that's something I'll have to go listen to. Well, it's funny that you end with Bach and yeah. the piano piece because that oh, is where well, I'm no gonna start. This is um, yes. well, I'll play it first. I think I've I've tried to find I had a recording on the system so I've gone to Spotify to try and find a recording here it is okay so it is um, Emil oh. Gilles, um yeah. at the piano and it's the Prelude in B minor arranged by the Russian pianist conductor composer Alexander Salotti yeah. I think I'm saying all those names yeah. right because um, so I have one presenter who. Um, gets to pick his own music and he sends it through to me every week. Um, And just, you know, we have a relationship, like producer-presenter relationships are quite funny anyway, but every time he sends me stuff, there's always a piece that just takes me that I haven't really listened to properly before and I'll just sit and get going because I kind of go through it because sometimes he does pick stuff that I go. Yeah, we're not going to get that on air. Um, but he often picks stuff that just stops me in my tracks and makes me go, like, how have yeah. I never heard this before? Um, I mean, 50 years of listening between the two of us kind of takes care of that's That's why yeah. he knows it. But, um, yeah, that one in particular, like, I, I haven't done any research on it, so I don't know. I mean, it sounds a bit like Bach, but it also sounds like, is definitely being arranged. Like there's one, what's the word? Like one step removed yeah, the whole um, from yeah. the direct, it's yeah, transcription. The way that but needs to sustain, which of course could happen on a piano and couldn't have happened um, on a on a harpsichord. Could happen on an organ, of course. Which I think, right, in saying it was original yeah. organ work. Um, okay, yeah, um, that would make but, sense. Uh, and but Gillel's um, made that his own. It is just so special. And there's a particular performance of his. You can find on YouTube where he does it as an encore at one of his Moscow Conservatory recitals, um, and I think it, there's some story behind the recital too that was a particularly special occasion. And it's just the most heartbreaking performance that is so beautiful. yeah yeah. Um, I think it's on YouTube with bad ah. quality 
audio and you know blurry vision and whatever and it's but it's just magical i, I was obsessed with that so i'm so, so pleased you chose that oh wow that, that was just totally yeah. a stab in the dark okay well i'm gonna play yeah. something else now it's gonna sound terrible down the line and let me see if i can find actually i just know the name of it so why am i doing that no I don't. do you know what that one is Okay, it's I Lie and it's um, by David Lang and it's from his The Little uh-huh. Match Girl Passion. Um, I really don't know enough about any of it. I just really like it. Um, but I know that that's like one of his um, really big works that's been done quite a few times. That's a Harmonia Mundi recording. But I picked that as well because I remember the last time I saw you that um, there was a David Lang opera on at the Barbican and I was tossing up with it a go. And so that just, it's just like one of those pieces that's like a particular moment in time. Like I can just remember um, the rooftop bar in, yeah. and Justin was there and it was just like, you know, one of those pieces, like one of those composers that's now going to take me back to that particular moment because I think I must have listened mm-hmm. to it in the days that followed um although that one's been on like my favorite list for years but I also just think that he has a way with writing with voices that's quite distinctive for me and especially when a lot of contemporary composers I think I mean think I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say that there's a lot of writing for voices that doesn't really do a lot of faith like kind of works against the voice um and and doesn't relies on maybe um, uh, stage performance craft to carry the performance across. But I think he writes everything I've heard that he's written for a vocal line, sit, like seems to sit in the voice in a way that it really works, which I think is quite underrated and not as common as people yeah. would think. Anyway, so that's um, that. Also, it's just really yeah. calming. And at a time when it's incredibly stressful over here, even though it's kind of settled down a little bit, um, it's the kind of music that it's five minutes of just like very, very calm. So yeah, that's, that's that. Um, And actually I'm going to play another Rachmaninoff piece for you now. And this is, I'm trying to find a good version that's appropriate. Yeah. Okay. This is um, Misha Maisky playing the oh, vocalese right. by Rachmaninoff. And this okay. is because I have a story. Okay. And so this is chosen, A, because you started talking about Rachmaninoff before, and then it just reminded me of this, which, which means that this definitely can't see the light of day. Well, I definitely can't share this in some So we're just putting but, it on a podcast um, for the world. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all right. I won't you. Um, but there's particular moments in your life when you sit there and you think, how did I end up here? And um, uh, I was working with a presenter recently and I'd written like a little, um, like you have to write little like stories to bring the music to life. And I'd written um, a little paragraph about how, you know, Rachmaninoff wrote the vocalese and dedicated it to a soprano and, um, she was really offended that he hadn't given her beautiful poetry to sing and had just given her 
and and he just been like no no just sing a vowel of your choice like it's all about the beauty of your voice and she's like how am I supposed to make it beautiful if you're not giving me poetry to bring to life and he said darling you know your voice is enough you know it was one of those you know one of those like little naff stories that you 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 tell so everyone goes oh um but the person I was working with um was like I don't I don't understand and I'm like well you know you just you just sing the tune on a vowel of your choice and they're like can you demonstrate it for me and so I I, I was like (laughs) and I was like I sort of put on talk back and I'm like and then he uh, they go um yeah they um (laughs) they go Okay, but I don't understand the difference. Like, oh, you know, you could choose or ah, or e, and I'm just sitting there. This thinking, is not what I you know. Did. If you, this is yeah. Either I did a music degree, um, and you know I can sing, but I'm not going to sing like particularly beautifully at six a.m. in the morning, um. And, yeah, it was just one of those out-of-body experiences where you go, it's just not really yeah. what I thought yeah. I would be doing with my life. But I'm glad I know the tune. So, um, yeah. yeah I, I, I have many, many stories about that piece too over the years, including touring it with a French horn all around Tasmania. Um, and um, <laughs> I actually recorded it many years ago with Justin Beer. You mentioned Justin before. And I will never forget that recording session because yes. I had the most belting headache. And he was being absolute princess, and um, it was all in his own head, and he just couldn't play <laughs> properly. And he was complaining about reads, of course. And we just had to do take after take after take, and my head was ready to explode, and I just wanted to murder him. Um, I have wanted to do on many occasions since, but uh, that was that was probably actually that was the final year of our undergrad, so that was what thirteen years ago. I got. Um, and so I've got through wow. 13 years without murdering him, but um, I still vividly remember that night. Yeah, there's just certain pieces of music that will just make make you suddenly go, oh, that's right, that's what that was all like. Um, and also just when you were talking about Rachmaninoff being so close to the wire of like maybe a little um, yes. uh, schmaltzy, that one, I think, is probably, for me, the one that really pushes That's, up against yeah. the line, where it's like, I get it, but you know the great there's certain times that, that, that It's I part of the Opus 34 like group piece. of songs, and there are absolutely extraordinary other songs in that set that nobody ever performs. And I don't know why it is. If Maybe it's just that in the West the Russian is too hard for people to sing or whatever, but... Um, there are, there are a couple of extraordinary songs in that cycle that just are not at all well known, and I think it's that needs to be rectified. Uh, so that's a question. Um, is it so? Even though that's the vocalese and that doesn't have any words, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other I think songs all have words. No, because I was wondering. No, no, no. It it's part of his Opus Thirty Four song collection, which I think there's at least thirteen songs in the Opus. There might be more. And it's I, it's, I think the vocal is number six from memory. I hope I'm getting all this right. But, um, but, okay. um, hey, we're in a pandemic, so well, who really people can, you know, knows we want anything, to keep people the right, to giving the, the massive audience you have the right fact about Manonoff. <laughs> My eight friends who are just all right saying, 
um, A, you told me that story yesterday and B, <laughs> um, you're wrong. That's gonna be yeah. the two things of feedback that I get. So I have a question because yes. this is what I've been asking everyone. What have you been doing to stay sane in your current time of trial? Um, I'm well. We're we're on the cusp of autumn here, and uh, the weather. There's been a few chilly, bleakish, grey, rainy days, but still, mostly it's been unseasonably nice. So I've been making the most of that and going on long walks uh, around beautiful places, around the botanic gardens, along the river, along the bay, that sort of thing. Um, and through my very most favourite park in all of Melbourne, which is St Vincent's Park. Um, uh, I've been doing mm. that. I've been playing a bit for my own self. Uh, it was very hard to know what to practice in these times because you don't know when the next concert you're going to give is. So, And I'm such a lazy person. I don't want to think of spending weeks practising a program. I'd end up not having to perform. So um, I've actually been learning some solo pieces for the first time in a very, very long time that I've had time to play with solo repertoire. Um, which has been quite nice. I've been catching up on work in my business um, that has been some of it very overdue. So, uh, yeah, I look to be perfectly honest, and I, I feel a bit guilty even admitting this because I know a lot of people, particularly in our industry, are going through really very traumatic and hard times right now. But um, I've, I'm in a very lucky position that uh, the, the sort of balance of things that I do means that I'm under no immediate threat to my survival i mean i've i've lost a lot of work and there are big challenges ahead but i i'm not terrified and stressed um like some people so to be perfectly honest i'm actually really enjoying living at a, at a much better life. I'm, I'm really <laughs> really i i've been working myself to the bone for about three years now and um i was desperate to try and find a way to really slow down for a while and i could never see any way of achieving it and now it's been forced upon me and I'm wondering how I'll ever go back to um, how I used to live, actually. Yeah. And what I used to get done in a day and what I used now. to just expect of myself for a day, which was, to be honest, pretty ridiculous. And the fact that I would often expect myself to do that seven days in a row, week after week after week. So um, I'm, I'm now, yeah, really, really glad to be living at a slow pace and sleeping in and going for these nice long walks and listening to music and listening to podcasts while I do that and uh, reading books more that I've had sitting on my shelf for months that I haven't had time to get to and um, and just catching up with friends too. You know, uh, the, I, the, the, I live alone, which is pretty grim in these times, but um, the Skype and Zoom and all these things. I'm on so many damn apps now, like you know, Zoom and Messenger and <laughs> FaceTime. And now someone said to me, oh, no, we have to talk on Google Duo. So what the hell's that? Why can't you use one of those? Like all the others. Oh, it's Google, it's Google Duo. Duo. So I did, a, I did a call yesterday with a friend on Google Duo. Um, so, yeah, it's been nice oh, catching wow. up with people that you – and people you really love but you just don't normally have enough time to touch base with often enough, um, you know, especially if they live in other places and whatever. So – yeah, I, I feel guilty saying it, but actually I'm adoring this time. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, it's good that you're appreciating it now because you don't really know. No, and I say there's definitely, you know, and, and depending how this, how long this goes on, I could have real real troubles ahead. But um, I'm choosing not to worry too much about that and just um, 
plan for it as best I can. It's really out of my hands, though, so I'll just um, enjoy these nice, sunny last days of the taste of the end of summer. And um... Do you struggle with um, the, like, because pl- I like planning or I like to know where I'm going and I'm finding that's the part I'm finding the hardest is the kind of, like, the uncertainty not really i mean i'm I'm also a planner but i'm on a sort of minutia level with day-to-day stuff that i'm often losing sight of the bigger picture maybe so i'm actually also enjoying having the headspace to be taking a step back and thinking well is is the path i'm on actually what i want to be on and doing am i doing the right things and just allowing myself to zoom out a bit and and think about those decisions um and to be honest not really i i i i'm pretty I don't know how to say it, but I'm I'm very much someone who lives in the moment anyway, and um, I love to, you know, I love to have a plan or I love to have an idea of where I want to go, but I also like to react to things as they come along, and um, I also like to be an optimist and think, well, no matter what happens, we'll find a way to make the best of it. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm kind of mm. like I'm kind of being, I almost hope that you know, massive things occur that force me not to go back to just the way we used to do things or force all of us not to just, and then to see what that brings in its place and to see how we choose to make decisions. And I'm actually sort of really excited about that prospect and to see what the world does. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, definitely what I've been experiencing here is the value of your actual day it's kind of what you were talking about about like what you expect from yourself every day that you get up and how much you put into your day and mine has been like if you're if you're reduced to your room and I I mean I'm lucky enough to still be going to work but yeah that is my life right now which is my room Mm -hmm. my house and my workplace and you know green you know all those other like added extras of like a garden or a dog or a, a second room where yeah, you can have a study or way you know, up here. Um, things that yeah and things that you trade off yeah. for the desire to live in London and then when you're suddenly faced with like maybe six months of living like that and you think yeah. you know I still need to be here to do my job but um it, it's kind of your priorities in life and, and looking at maybe maybe the you know the priorities previously have been what I really wanted but if there is a new world order kind of what am I going to be putting no no I think front? so does that make sense or am really? I just kind of yeah and rambling about that yeah, yeah I think it's really really interesting times mm. ahead and there'll be some probably very sad stuff and some and trails of devastation that will come from it but there'll also be incredible new rebirth and um, new new ideas and new concepts and uh, you know we just have to well we have to wait and see what it is for the things that are out of our hands and where we can help shape the conversation and help you know lead the way out of this and 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 maybe fight for some things to be done a bit differently that's I think you know really an interesting place to be in and, and we should get excited about that.